From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide. Major funding for Bill Street Caravan is provided by the AutoZone Corporation and Memphis Tourism. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared Boyd. This week on Bill Street Caravan, we've got local rock siren Amy LeVere. Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis will be with us to deliver an installment of the Blues Hall of Fame, an exploration of the lives of the pioneers and innovators enshrining the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis, Tennessee, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, JB. Today's guest is a tried and true daughter of Memphis, but her wide range of sounds and influence is a testament to the long, winding journey that's brought her here. Absolutely right. Amy LeVere is loved among Memphians after having lived here since the late 1990s. And we've seen her through numerous releases as a solo artist and several others she's recorded in collaboration with like-minded artists. That nimble approach to interweaving herself with various genres is on full display on Amy's newest album, Painting Blue, for which we were able to attend the album release party. Often regarded for her soft, soothing voice, LaVere's got a knack for setting energies ablaze with the fiery spirit in her emotional delivery. You can hear it as early as her 2006 debut on Archer Records, This World Is Not My Home. That album, not unlike her latest, is threaded together by LaVere's upright bass, nodding to nostalgic rural sounds of the past, and lending her sound to comparisons with many folk acts of today. And while many might categorize her music with the umbrella term of Americana, that wouldn't necessarily give potential listeners the full scope of LaVere's strengths. Sure. I mean, if you were to give her new record a listen, there are moments like the song Not in Memphis that lean closer to the classic Bluff City soul sound. You can almost close your eyes and imagine she's playing alongside the high rhythm section, and they've got Charles Hodges back there on the organ. The album's closer and title track has enough thump to slide its way into the pop playlist. Though, admittedly, it'd be on the more sophisticated side of the chart. Please tell me you're not doing that thing again where you make fun <laughs> of pop music fans. Not me, not <laughs> me. I'm just talking about how good Amy is, that's all. Here she is, live on Bill Street Caravan.
Brothers over here on the vocals.
Here's more from Amy LeVere, live on Bill Street Caravan. That was Amy LeVere live on Bill Street Caravan. For more on LeVere, visit amylevere.com. We'll be back with more music from Amy in just a bit. Up next, Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis takes us through the life histories of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. This segment is brought to you by the Blues Foundation, and it's also available as a standalone podcast through iTunes. 
Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, Bessie Smith, George Gershwin, and Louis Armstrong. Even F. Scott Fitzgerald and William Faulkner. All national treasures who performed W.C. Handy's music or channeled the hard poetry of Handy lyrics. W.C. Handy is the father of the blues, the man with the statue on Beale Street. You know that. You know his profound impact on American music and the many artists W.C. Handy inspired. But what do you know about the man who inspired Handy? I'll tell you this. The blues first came to life on a fiddle, and the man we call the father of the blues witnessed it. Jim Turner had magic fingers. He could pick a thousand pounds of cotton and make the dice stop just where he wanted them to. But above everything, Jim Turner could pull some bow. He and his band played dances all along every pig path in the deep south. One of those paths ran to Florence, Alabama, where young William Christopher Handy heard him. Handy sat in awe as Jim fiddled rings around every song the band played. And when he didn't like what they were doing, he'd wrap his bow on the violin like a judge's gavel. Handy marveled at Turner's talent, laughed at Turner's antics, but his heart nearly stopped when Jim sang. They tell me Joe Turner come and gone. Oh, Lord, they tell me Joe Turner come and gone. Oh, Lord, got my man and gone. He come with 40 links of chain. Oh, Lord, come with 40 links of chain. Oh, Lord, got my man and gone. Handy had never heard anything like that song and needed to know more. Jim explained how he wrote it. He simply listened to the news spread word of mouth on Beale Street. Joe Turney's not afraid of the fork-tongued devil, Jim said. He's the long chain man, comes through Memphis, arrests men right out of the crap games, and sells them to plantations down the river, he explained. Even uses decoys to start the game. Handy wondered why Jim sang from a woman's point of view. That's how I heard it sung, Jim said. When she can't find a man, they tell her Joe Turner's come and gone. The fiddler didn't call this the blues. This was much more than that. It was true history that might never be told. He repeated verses in the song to help people remember. The fiddler thought he might be scaring the boy and switched his tune. You heard about Beale Street? Handy had barely laid eyes on a photograph, much less a moving picture, but the fiddler's words came to life in his mind. And just as fast as he fiddled, Jim Turney come and gone. Handy dreamed night and day of Beale Street. Turney called it, Well, life is a song from dawn till dawn. Wasn't it also a nightmare? The long chain man sneaking around with his informers? Handy could see the glitter on the ladies' fashions, smell their perfume, and taste the oysters. His senses came to life. His dreams ran from dawn to dawn. And W.C. Handy finally made it, almost 20 years later.
Now in his early 30s, Handy had traveled all over the continent. He'd marched in glorious parades and narrowly escaped lynch mobs, all in a day's work for the band leader. Handy played cornet and wrote arrangements for minstrel shows. After his father pressured him enough, Handy became a learned musician, a reading musician. That was the big compromise. Handy would be a bum against his daddy's will, but he would be an educated bum. All the education on the planet couldn't keep Handy grounded in written music. He became entranced with blind street corner singers and footloose train station guitarists who populated his universe. He developed something like a photographic memory, only not for images, but sound, a phonographic memory. When he heard a nice phrase or stanza, he'd lock it in. By the time he'd finally reached Beale, the sounds of his past wouldn't let him rest. Square dance song callers, sanctified choirs, a hobo dragging glass across a guitar neck, and haunting verses about the long chain man. Now, Jim Turner guided Handy through Beale Street's many musical saloons, through the very world he'd brought to life in Handy's imagination. The Antler, the Drum, the Climax, the Monarch, and Pee Wee's. Each had its own scene. The Monarch was all about the piano. Pee-wee's had a jam session going day and night. The ultimate was a rightly named joint south of Beale called Blue Heaven. The fiddler told Handy, there's a place where certain type of people enjoy themselves without any interference. Turner nodded towards an apple-cheeked white man in a silk shirt. Jim Mulcahy's a real sport, the fiddler said. He'll have rooster fights, prize fights, and barrel housing contests. Little did Handy know, Turner and Mulcahy would help him revolutionize American music. Without the three of them, the blues might not have made it out of Beale Street saloons. Politics pulled them together. Blue Heaven needed protection from police raids, so Mulcahy helped the candidates at election time. He registered his customers and enticed them to vote for whichever candidate promised to leave him alone. Meanwhile, W.C. Handy started his own Memphis band with Jim Turner on first violin. Handy and the band played everywhere from Beale Street's Grand Auditorium to Blue Heaven. Still, they lagged behind Bynum's superb orchestra and the Chickasaw Cornets in Beale Street's popularity polls. While Handy struggled to get ahead, Jim Mulcahy joined a hotly contested three-way battle for the mayor's office, throwing his weight behind one E.H. Crump. Sure enough, after Mr. Crump's two rivals recruited the two top Beale Street bands, Mulcahy had only one choice. He hired Handy to draw crowds for Crump's campaign events. Handy and Turner jumped at the chance to show out. First, they did a little scouting. The two musicians went to hear the other candidates' bands, mixing with the crowds at rallies. They listened for weaknesses. They're playing Tin Pan Alley and Ragtime, New York hits, Handy told Turner. No way an unknown band like ours playing the same stuff as others gets noticed. Turner said, let's give them something else. They headed for Pee Wee's, where they leaned on the cigar counter and got to work. Once the fiddler had heard women crying that Joe Turney got their men and gone. Now, Handy heard people expressing doubt about Mr. Crump's sincerity. While Mr. Crump claimed he'd shut saloons, whorehouses, and gambling dens, the average person on Beale Street knew his secret. Mr. Crump owned some of these very same places. 
Handy took the words he heard and wove them into his lyrics. That became one secret of his magic, sampling street poetry. The other was to draw from the encyclopedia of sounds he carried in his mind, sampling underground music. The composer based the song that would make Beale Street renowned as the home of the blues on the same song that fueled his imagination. Handy just changed the words and juiced up the tempo. The subject went from one boss to another, Joe Turney to E.H. Crump. The lyric opened with a kept woman cutting a deal that went down daily in the city's lush underworld. You want to be my man, you got to give me $40 down. You want to be my man, you got to give me $40 down. Don't be my man and your baby going to leave this town. For Mr. Crump don't allow no easy riders here. Mr. Crump don't allow no easy riders here. Well, we don't care, Mr. Crump don't allow. We gonna buy a house anyhow. Mr. Crump can go and catch himself some air. The number of dollars for a down payment on a kept woman equaled the number of links on Joe Turney's long chain. You wanna be my man, you gotta give me $40 down. You wanna be my man, you gotta give me $40 down. Don't be my man, your baby's gonna leave this town. Well, Mr. Crump don't allow no easy riders yet. Mr. Crump don't allow no easy riders yet. We don't care what Mr. Crump don't allow. We go to the house anyhow. Mr. Crump won't allow it. The verses and bars broke from the standardized forms of ragtime, carving out a new style and paving the way for the blues craze. And on election day, Crump won. For that matter, so did Handy. But just after Crump's election, Handy wasn't about to publish his song insulting the most powerful man in the city. The world outside Beale Street came to know the campaign tune Mr. Crump as Memphis Blues. The same song that inaugurated a half century of Mr. Crump's domination also made Memphis synonymous with music, launching a legacy that outshined and outlasted even the boss. Memphis blues caught on in Chicago cabarets and Broadway musicals. Handy's tunes were favorites of iconic literary character Jay Gatsby and featured in motion pictures. Beale Street fueled Handy, and Handy would now fuel Beale Street. His story encouraged generation after generation of local talents, from Jimmy Lunciford to Willie Mitchell, Memphis Minnie to Carla Thomas. Memphis Blues reshaped American music, its 12 bars laying the foundation of rock and roll, R&B, and soul. Just as 40 lengths of chain rang through a beautiful song, the blues is bittersweet. While W.C. Handy watches over Beale Street, Jim Turner sleeps in the ground, someplace nobody knows. Handy is forever. Jim Turner, come and gone. It moans just like a sinner on revival day. 
That melancholy strain, that ever haunting refrain, is like a morning sorrow song. Here comes the very part. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. Caravan has brought the sounds of Memphis to public radio airwaves for more than 20 years. And now you can see what we've been talking about. Check out our series of digital shorts through our website or go to iListenToMemphis.com. iListenToMemphis is about Memphis music today, the people who make it, and the places and culture that fuel it. iListenToMemphis.com. AutoZone is proud to support Bill Street Caravan and many other arts organizations that strengthen the greater Memphis community. Parts are just part of what we do. AutoZone.com. Bill Street Caravan is also supported by awards from Memphis Travel, Tennessee Arts Commission, Arts Memphis, and Tennessee Tourism. TennesseeVacation.com. The soundtrack of America was made in Tennessee. We're back, and for those of you who are just tuning in, we've got singer-songwriter Amy LeVere on the show today. LeVere, as we mentioned, isn't a native to Memphis, though she's been hanging around with us here in town for quite a bit. Yeah, she's originally from the Shreveport, Louisiana area, right near where the state borders Texas. Yeah, but her family moved around quite a bit, and she somehow ended up in Detroit playing punk rock music at the beginning of her musical career. Letting music leader, LeVere made a sojourn back to her native Louisiana that turned into a longer stay in Nashville as a part of the legendary Shack Shakers and the Gabe and Amy show. Her eventual move to Memphis led to her debut record as a solo artist, but it was her second release, produced by Jim Dickinson, that made her a staple in this city and gained her acclaim nationwide. And she's been rolling ever since, even taking a bit of time to act in films like Walk the Line and Black Snake Moan. Her music today is as sharp as ever with the recent success of that side project, The Motel Mirrors, with guitarist John Paul Keith that we had right here on Bill Street Caravan last season. Her latest solo album, Painted Blue, was produced by LeVere's husband, Will Sexton. You'll find Will on guitar for the album release party, along with guitarist David Kowser and drummer Sean Zorn. But since it was the album release party, Amy pulled out all the stops. She's got Lucero keyboardist Rick Steff, the sensational Barnes Brothers on background vocals, and featured strings from John Meisner and Krista Roten. Here they all are, live on Bill Street Caravan.
Street Caravan uh, with a wonderful vocalist uh, from our beautiful city here, uh, Miss Amy LeVere. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you, Jerry? Uh, I'm sorry. I caught you right in the middle of, of, of putting some things together. You have a concert coming up in your home. Is that correct? Yeah, Will and I, uh, we just started hosting house concerts at our house uh, for other musicians that are touring looking for a really sort of a precious, intimate place to share the songs that they've written. Memphis has a breadth of incredible music venues, but there is somewhat of a little void for the mid-level artist that is um, a songwriter that needs to have a really quiet sort of place with people really appreciating what they're doing. So we are lucky enough to have done that in other cities all over the world, really, and, and so we're trying to create that here in Memphis for some artists that we're friendly with. Uh, when we think of, of you and your repertoire and your albums, people think of Memphis, but can you tell us a bit about your biography before your story sort of links up with Memphis here? Sure. I didn't start out being a journeyman by choice. My dad's job had us moving all over the country when I was a little kid. So while I was born in Shreveport, I spent most of my really early childhood in East Texas. And my mom was a folk singer, never professionally, but I grew up with my mom writing songs in the house all the time. And my dad actually got a scholarship to go to college to play drums, and he didn't finish uh, because he started having a family and he became an iron worker. So the iron working job, you know, we'd go wherever the projects were. So I, I was like an army brat kid, so we moved around quite a bit. But in uh, 1990, <laughs> aught, mid-90s, I got an offer to work in a management office on Music Row when I was just 19, and so I moved to Nashville and uh, really tried to get a band together there, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do, and I couldn't find a band, and so I was drawn to Memphis because I would come here when I was living in Nashville, and this town suited my clothes, and I made friends here, and. So I, I moved here in 99. Now, when I lived uh, in the Gulf Coast, uh, the word that you heard all the time when you talked about music was Americana. And if it meant anything to me, it means sort of being able to sort of get to the root of what it means to be American in these pastimes and these many different styles of music and different styles of people. Uh, I see you shaking your head when I use that term. Is that a dirty word for you, Americana? 
Um, no, it's not at all. As I understood Americana when I first became, I guess, a part of it or aware of it, and you know, people were really kind of pushing the idea that it was a place for sort of wayward children that couldn't find their home in the format as it was at the time. You know, you weren't country enough, you weren't pop enough, you weren't rock enough, and also usually it would have a roots thread, be it it leaned a little too blues or a little too bluegrass for any of the major market. That was what it was. So it, in a sense, when, I, when it first came about, to me, it seemed like it was much more broad. And over the last 10 years, I think Americana has really started to define itself. And so the artistry and the creativity of it, while there's a bajillion more bands identifying as and, and being a part of it, I think a lot of it is starting to become really watered down. But yeah, no, Americana is not a dirty word. I just think that it feels a little bit like it has become inclusive and, and lost somewhat of what I thought it was supposed to be from its roots. I mean, another uh, umbrella term that may not mean as much to some people as it does to others and you know, might be a bit hard to find is the Memphis sound. Uh, you've been here quite a while. I mean, how do you feel that your, your artistry fits into what a lot of people would consider a tradition here in town? Well, you know, I struggle with that some because I'm really passionate about um, the history of Memphis music. I don't think that you would put on my record and necessarily say, oh my gosh, I wonder if she's from Memphis. That's a little tough for me. Because it's I, tough for me too. <laughs> Believe me, it's tough for me too. Well, I, I, I listening to. Because I want Memphis to be proud of me. You know, I feel like I do represent the city, and I. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, Memphis is proud of you. I know that to be uh, a fact. But, well, can you talk a bit about this this latest record? It, it wasn't as easy as records have been in the past for me, because I'm in like a I'm in a very different place than I was. Uh, when I was a little bit younger and I was single and um, making records meant something more ambitious and it just meant something a little bit different than this project did. I'm in a pretty comfortable little place and so um, I don't really know how to write about that. I really had to find out what was still uncomfortable in some ways for me to figure out how to write and also I really wanted to release this one on my own so we had to chip away at it as I had a little money aside so it took two years to actually finish the recording process and this one was by far the most challenging and what's really great is that I finally now that it's done I've been so inspired <laughs> so I think the next one's gonna fall out of me which is good you remember much about uh the feeling in the room for this album release party, you had a lot of special guests. It was sheer joy. We all had a, a, just a blast. It was the best show, my favorite show I've ever performed. And I think the musicians that were all a part of it all just booed nod about what a great experience it was. And the audience, it was just all you could feel was pure love. And all we wanted to do was book another gig immediately. It was great. It was really great. I wish I could, I wish I could have shows like that every night. I told Will, I said, if I ever won the lottery, I probably would just try to afford myself that band every night of my life. That's awesome. And I guess it's a big treat that our uh, listeners will be able to hear that version of your songs. What does it feel like when you're playing the regular version of this show uh, that, that goes along with this album? I mean, when Will and I do it really intimately, just the two of us, it has its own weight. In some ways, I think it probably elicits more of an emotional response than what the big 
Grand Show did in a more personal way, it goes over fine. There's some songs, like for instance, the title track, Painting Blue. That one's not very much fun to play without drums anyway. Not in Memphis, surprisingly, goes over okay, but it also benefits from having a rhythm section other than just me on the bass. But playing these songs really intimately works really, really well. But, you know, having the, the big band, what a privilege that is. Uh, you said the next one's almost ready to fall right out of you. Do you have any, uh, any idea of when fans can expect it? Um, sort of the first quarter of the year will be focused on Will, and I'll just focus on regrouping and writing. And then um, I, I hope by this time next year I'll be in the recording process. So I'm not thinking it's going to be any time before probably 2021 that I'll be releasing the next record. But it won't take two years, that's for sure. Well, that seems like fine time to me. And speaking of time, I'll let you get back to getting your house set up for your guests coming up soon. Thank you. Thank you for coming here. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Here's more from Amy LeVere live on Bill Street Caravan. Maybe 
That was Amy LeVere live on Bill Street Caravan. For more information on Amy, head on over to amylevere.com. Keep an eye out for Amy and that sweet, soulful voice out on the road. You'll be as fortunate to catch her on her own as you might be to hear her play with her many collaborators. Special thanks to our supporters, AutoZone, Memphis Tourism, Arts Memphis, Tennessee Arts Commission, and Tennessee Tourism for their support in making Bill Street Caravan possible. We like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. You can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Do you love Memphis music? Tell us why and use the hashtag #IListenToMemphis. Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can always keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available through iTunes. We'll be back next week, so until then, I'm Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared Boyd. And you've been listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Mm-hmm.